we went in on the idea that if we are not leveraged, we are buying something under value, we are being paid to hold, there's no reason why this will go wrong. And one fundamental analysis was that oil as a commodity can never go to zero. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by my How to Start Building Your Wealth Investing in the Stock Market online course, the complete proven step-by-step course to guide you from novice to confident investor. To get an amazing 35% discount on this course or any of my other courses, go to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Wilbert Winberg. Wilbert, are you ready to rock? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> we just had a nice little conversation. I'm looking forward to bringing you out to the audience. Now, Wilbert is an international speaker, award-winning author, and founder of the Think Act Prosper Growth Conference. Now, audience, I'd like you just to think about that for a moment. Think, act, prosper. Prosper, that's the formula. So. Since 2015, Wilbert has touched the lives of over 100,000 people in more than 20 companies through his seminars, live programs, and award-winning book called Think, Act, Prosper, How Small Habits Can Lead to Massive Success, which you can find right now on Amazon. So, Wilbert, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Hi, everyone. So, um, Andrew, first and foremost, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to join you this morning. So... My name is Wilbur Winberg from Singapore, and um, currently I'm 31 years old, and I've been in the investment field for slightly more than a decade. As Andrew has introduced me, I'm, I'm an author, and of course I do conferences that that's held annually to help people to progress and take their business income and life to the whole new level. As a habit, I personally like to skydive. I'm a licensed skydiver. I got my license in Lodi, California. Uh, I have more than 50 jumps. And also, I've spent the last two years living in Phuket. I was training Muay Thai professionally. I took a break off investment, which probably later I will share with you guys why it is also important. Because investment, if you want to stay in the game for in the, in the long-term game, sometimes you just have to take short little breaks so that you can endure the game. So mm. thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. And you know, I was reading something about you that not every one of those 50 skydives went well. Yeah, so um, two of them actually was near fatal. Actually, when I jumped off the plane and I was far away from the landing zone, some of the skydivers looked at me when I was so far out and then they were saying like, this guy is probably not going to make it. So at that point of time when I was struggling and when I was fighting for my life, there were people who already gave up on me because skydiving is just so fragile as you know, the moment you miss land, 88% of the time, you're at least going to break a leg or you're going to go into hospital and up really badly. But thank goodness, I don't know why, but I survived two different crashes. One when I was pre-pro and then the other one when I was a licensed. So really grateful. And of course, I live to tell my story today. Fantastic. Well, that's exciting. I mean, you know, we now know, ladies and gentlemen, that Wilbert can respond under pressure. <laughs> so if I'm skydiving, I want you with me. All right. So, 
All right, well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever, ever, ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yeah, so actually it was uh, a bit funny when first my friend reached out to me to say that I should share this on this podcast. And I think I used to have one that was what I consider worst. A recent situation was the one that is the worst of all in my you know, decade-long trading. And so that's why I felt that it was really funny. It happened at the right time, and, and that's why I'm, I'm willing to share today. And so really what happened was that we were following the cycles, you know, the business cycles and everything. We were tracking a lot of different indicators and data, the underlying numbers. We kind of felt that, you know, in 2018, a lot of things have kind of picked up, right? So it was at its top. We felt that uh, there wasn't really a lot of volume supporting those stuff. But there wasn't any reason for us to really go in and, and take any action, whether it be long or short, because just because you feel that it's overpriced or undervalued, it doesn't mean anything, right? But during 2020, at the start of the year, as we all know, coronavirus came in, right? And so at first, I wasn't really paying much attention because I was simply relating it to like the last mess, which was affecting Korea a lot. And the funny thing was actually I was in Korea at that point of time. I decided not to cancel my flight. I went ahead with it. And so when I was there, the funny thing was none of the Koreans were wearing the mask. Only the tourists were doing it. And so at that point of time, I realized that how media could have a very huge impact on this kind of thing and also definitely causing the, um, the market, Korean market to tank for, for a short while. And so when coronavirus came, I thought, you know, this is the U.S. probably overplaying the whole situation. I'm not going to do anything about it unless I have further confirmation. By Feb, it was almost what we call semi-inevitable that some of the things is probably going to happen to a certain extent, whether it's going to have a correction or you know, go into a bear market. And so by Feb and March, we started raising money. And so, of course, Think at Prosper Growth Conference is one of my main business. The other one is actually a trading academy, which I run. More than 300 students have graduated from the program. And so on the side of that business, we also manage our own money and our clients' money at the same time. So at that point of time, we probably have like two or three million because we started raising two years ago. And of course, with what was about to happen, I told all my guys to say, hey, you, you guys, you got to understand. Now, every 10 years or so, something is going to happen. And then when it happens, you want to be on the right side. You want to be buying things cheap. And so by February and March, we started raising capital. And of course, we were fast enough. We raised another few million dollars. And we were all ready and set and you know, ready to, to pounce on the market. But at the same time, you are also you know, tracking things like insider trading, whether the CEO are buying or selling the companies. You're looking at hedge funds, what they're doing. And at that point of time, it didn't really show me that it's the right time to buy equities and go into the stock market. So what we eventually found out was that with this virus and a high unemployment rate, the governments eventually will have to start printing money. So then we started to look at commodities first, which probably some of you guys may know by now, gold is usually a safe haven. Back in 2010 to 2011, that trade I was in, silver actually shot up from $17 to $50. And so that was purely due to the fact that there was a huge quantitative easing at that point of time. And so we started looking at commodities and of course, oil started coming down as well, right? So the worst investment that I really want to share is in oil. I think 
<laughs> Andrew is going to know a little bit as well. But so we started raising capital. We were very confident. We were doing a lot of historical data backtesting. We were looking at the past data. And I mean, unless you're talking about the prices before 2000 and the 1990s, right? They were probably sometimes in a single digit going to the early teens. But ever since then, after 2000, anything close to 20, 30, 40 is technically not really sustainable because the market will eventually correct itself. And so at that point of time, by the time we raise the money on top of the money we have, which by now would be a decent, a few million dollars, right? We were ready. And so I still remember at that point of time, I think it was about mid-March. BCO, which is the brand oil, was at about 25. And WTI, which is the West Texas Intermediate, was at about 22. And I look at what happened in 2016, the market pretty much bottomed out at 28. So now you have something even lower than the bottom. It was a two-decade low, right? Mm. So everybody starts to talk about, you know, like, hey, you know, oil is not like Bitcoin. It's not a cryptocurrency. People need it. People need to burn it. You know, you need to travel and stuff like that. Even for your house, you need LPG and stuff like that. So, you know, my team and I, we were quite confident. And one of the things that we really liked at that point of time was that the carrying cost, the swap on that position was actually positive. So meaning to say you get paid for holding on to the position. So that was really beautiful for us, right? You found something undervalued. You found something that's, that pays you for holding onto it. And we were really stoked, right? We thought that this is going to be the trade of the lifetime. And usually that's what happened. And that's what kills you, right? When you think that it's the trade of the lifetime. So we're confident. We kept raising money. And of course, at some point of time, we stopped the race. We started to enter the position. Now, just to be clear on what platform we are really actually going in, we didn't really trade on the oil futures. We were doing on contract for differences, CFDs, which is on a Forex platform. Mm. So usually they don't, just like what the most futures are doing now, actually the fund, they do an aggregate, right? So they usually hold up to three months to four months, they aggregate the price. So for us, that was only the reason why we survived. Because otherwise, we would have been wiped out. We would have been owning money. Okay, so this is definitely one of my worst. But of course, eventually, mm. I came out of it. So what happened was that we started buying. And of course, you know, we always know that oil has something to do with the political scene. And especially sometimes one single tweet or word from someone can push the prices up or down. And so when at that point of time the oil came to a pretty low we were still waiting for it to base out for me i don't just buy because it's low i need to wait for a signal of bottoming and so what happened was you know sometimes when you're in investment you have some you know higher paid subscription you know getting premium data and all this so we receive an alert to say that actually saudi arabia and russia was going to cut the oil by 9.7 so we started buying in little did we know that Actually, it was just a tweet from President Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. And so what happened was that swing was the biggest in a very long time. It was 22. It went up to 32 before it came back down. So we thought that was the turning point. We went in. Of course, our position, while even though it was a Forex platform, we went in unleveraged. We were not leveraged. We went dollar for dollar. So that was also one important thing that, that was why we were still alive. And and we went in. So we started buying oil at 26 per barrel, 30 and 32. But obviously, it started to come down. And I think at the same time when we were buying it up, uh, trying to buy it up, a lot of 
negative news start to come even more. And I think the fact that the airline were thinking of going bankrupt, you know, declaring mm. bankruptcy as one of a possible option was very scary for them. So the oil eventually came down by a lot. Even recently, I don't know if you follow the news, Thai Airways is considering the government is actually giving the green light for it to go bankrupt. Mm. And so, you know, that is something that I think it scares a lot of people. And so it eventually came down. Now, this is the part where it was the worst. We went in on the idea that if we are not leveraged, we are buying something under value, we are being paid to hold, there's right. no reason why this would go wrong. And one fundamental analysis was that oil as a commodity can never go to zero. And that was why we went in dollar for dollar. Mm. And while futures, now that we know on hindsight it can go to zero, ever since it was created, I don't think there was ever a time that it went below zero. Mm. Maybe cheap, but not below zero. <laughs> and so I think that was where we went wrong, right? Of course, the good thing, like I say, was I was very skeptical because after so many years in trading, I knew that when if I think that something is really going to be just so good, it's most likely not going to be true. And so luckily, I approached with precaution. But then again, it was really something that I think nobody expected. Mm, totally. And, yeah. And so what happened was on April 20th, 21st, 22nd, that period, the oil started coming down like crazy. And of course, a lot of people will find out by now that as it came down, a lot of people like me was thinking it will never go to zero. Why not? Let's just keep buying. And so, you know, people kept buying. But at 2026, 20, where I started buying, and as it came down, in fact, instead of continuing buying, I stopped buying because over the career, I learned that usually the position that you are really right on the prediction, they usually start to move in profit in a very short while. Mm. And I don't believe in double down, right? I don't think it's a good concept. I believe that you should double down on winning position, not double down on losing position. And so I was losing. And that was also a reason why I'm still alive mm. is that as it goes down, I'm just waiting. Of course, again, I'm not saying that if the market were to recover at an even lower bottom, you cannot go in. You can, but it's just that you shouldn't buy when it's, you know, free falling, right? In skydiving, mm. we talked about free falling. It's just too fast. And so how so, did the position end? Yeah. So the position, I didn't really track it just because I knew it was, you know, I was well leveraged. I had a good, decent margin and size. I was probably at that point of time trading a total volume of between 50,000 to 100,000 barrel on paper. Mm. And so that was pretty huge in terms of the size. And I wasn't monitoring on the expiration date, right? So I thought, you know, it's going to come back up. And so I just went to sleep. The next day I woke up, I was checking the chart and I was like, it was $8 on my, on my trading screen, right? So I was like, so what happened, right? So I went to Google. I started to read a lot of news. And then they said that last night, oil went to minus 37. <laughs> And which, I had the, which for the listeners out there, what they're talking about is that the oil futures contract yes. went to minus. The actual physical oil didn't go to minus, but it went down, as you said, to eight. Yes. And the $8 was derived from, like I say, the aggregate of futures, right? Mm. So there was the April and the May and the June, most likely the three months averaging out. So therefore, we go to eight because you have one month going to negative yep. and then the remaining two months still positive. And the allocation and the weightage might be different. So that's why we didn't go to zero for that. But again, you know, I wasn't really leveraged. So at that point of time, considering that it went to minus eight, 
my whole entire accounts that I managed for was probably down by 80% unrealized. And so we are talking about at least a minus three, minus four mil at that point of time on a total of five to six. You know, so that was very, very close. Okay, so that was one. But after it came down, the second challenge happened. And that was almost like a punch in the stomach. It was so bad. I felt that it was worse than my skydiving crash. That's how bad it is. You know what happened? Hmm. What was supposed to be a positive carry, the swap, was now negative. So we hold so much position, but now we have to pay because nobody is buying the oil. They were all storing on the vessels, the tanker, the ULCC, the VLCC is the big one, right? So it became very expensive. And I was being paid, for example, like for every 10,000 barrel of oil, I was initially paid $200 for holding for the whole position. Mm. It went to me being have to pay $3,000 a day on that 10,000 barrels. So you can see once the, the swap that you have to pay on it change, you know that you are over leveraged at that point of time, not because mm. of the barrel, but because of the swap. Yeah. And so now I have to decide, right? Do I hope? Do I hope that the market is going to recover or do I take some actions about it? And so we consulted, you know, with some of the people from our team. And then, of course, we even reached up to our broker, which they were very kind yeah. to suggest some of the, the things to us. But at the point of time, I, I already kind of knew what I had to do. I was just mm. thinking between do I hope or do I do something about it? And of course, hope is a very dangerous fall at the word, as we all know. Mm. So eventually... I took a hatch, right? So I became market neutral. I was net zero at that point of time because when usually when a swap on one side is negative, the other side is usually positive, right? So at that point of time, they are paying you to take off the position. And mm. so that's why the other swap is actually positive. So I was hatched in terms of the swap at that point of time. And so eventually- So, so to, the, to the audience, for people that don't understand that, basically what you're saying is that you didn't want to just sell it because you would realize your losses yes. right away. Yes. Yes. So instead, you took an opposing position in another instrument that allowed you to gain for every bit that you're losing on this one, yes. the concept of hedging, so that you can say, okay, now I've reduced my risk on the movement. It also means that if it goes up, you're not going to get the gain. Yes, yes, exactly. But you're losing it in the hedge. But if it goes down, you're not going to get the loss. So at this yeah. point, you made your position neutral. And then how did you end it? Yeah, so eventually, we know that because the hatch was only a temporary strategy that we were going to use. Because at the point of time, we were very focused on the fundamental of it. And so at that point of time, the news was very negative. But eventually, a lot of things came up, such as the easing of lockdown for countries. Mm. That was one big thing because it's all about supply and demand for oil. Yep. And so when there's things like that being announced, and then, of course, Donald Trump likes to keep emphasizing on the fact that they had the vaccine very close to reach and all this kind of thing, the market did move up. Mm. And so we understood at some point of time, we would have the opportunity to offload our hedge parts by parts so that instead of not making any gains going up or down, now we are making lesser gains. But as we offload, we can get to realize the full gains. And so... You know, like I say again, we were down by probably 70-80% unrealized, but eventually we were able to come out of it alive. Of course, we didn't make the profit from the low mm. to the high, but I think coming out alive of this whole situation is as good as like I've almost 
won myself $10 million because this was one incident where it could have destroyed my, my career, which I have built yep. my reputation and everything. What a great lesson. So now let's review, you know, what are the lessons that you learned for the listeners out there keeping in mind there's many people that are out there trading and they're new to it. It's exciting. Opportunities are big. But what lessons did you learn from this experience? I think one of the most important thing I've learned is that, especially when it comes with the cost of carrying a trade, you know, the swap. I call up to my broker, right? And because I was one of their more premier clients, we had mm. a lot of accounts and we introduced them a lot of accounts. I was asking them, like, how can you, you know, just change it, change the underlying swap just like that? And they said, you know, we didn't do anything about it. It's all the liquidity provided, the banks and, and all the big firms. And they say that sometimes they just have to do it because in order to ensure that they survive, they would have to make sure that at some point of time, while the market is still unstable, they still get to earn. You know, of course, we're not going to go into full details of how they, they earn, mm. you know, but mm. of course, there is things that they need to ensure. So I was being informed that, you know, you would rather them staying alive and you get to withdraw at the end of the day or you want them to go bankrupt and then you get nothing at the end of the day. And so one of the things I realized is that financial, especially when it comes to a lot of instruments and assets, is a lot of derivatives and derivatives of derivatives. And so for me, as a company who invests, you know, I, I need to use my broker. My broker needs to depend on the LP, which makes it sometimes I feel like too dependent, which is not for my liking. But understand this is that we as a, for example, a lot of people out there are retail trader or small time investment firm. Everybody is for themselves. So don't mm. ever think one day that you're just going to you know, be safe and nothing is going to happen to you. I think that's one thing that I really realized how cold the finance world really is. Everybody mm. is for themselves. Yep. At the point of time, they really didn't care. So you know, that was really one of it. The second one, I would say that understand that you won't get the whole picture. You, know? you won't get to realize and understand everything. Yep. I think and the, the moment you feel that you got the game in and out, you know, every single ounce of the game, that's where you really have to double check. Mm, yep. Okay. Let me summarize some of the things I took away. I took away a lot of things. I wrote more notes than I've written in a while. And there's a few things. I mean, the first thing is that there is a financial infrastructure that's behind every trade. And sometimes people don't think about it. They go, oh, I'm buying this stock or I'm buying this derivative, but they don't realize there's a whole infrastructure. And if that infrastructure falls apart, it's over for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And so that's one thing. The other thing you reminded me of one of my favorite books called Your Money and Your Brain by Jason Zweig. And it talks about basically how losing money is a physical pain. And you referenced that. You know, it felt like a, a punch in the gut. No, it it's felt worse physical, than a yeah. skydiving crash. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then... Uh, the other thing that it you know, reminded me of is overconfidence, which is it's, it's a tough one because you, know, you have to have confidence to make that trade, but yet somehow you need to do enough research and feel you know, it's just such a balance and there is no perfect answer, but don't get overconfident, but just realize that when you are highly confident, as you've said a few times, that's the time you need to be you know, thinking very carefully. The other thing is, you know, in this case, you, you, had an, you had a way of dealing with the situation when it fell through putting on the hedge. 
many, many people who are trading don't have any plan for when things go down. And I, I think one of the reasons is that a lot of people, they refuse to admit that they might be wrong. Yeah. And for example, they felt that it was going to only be temporarily. So they just let it go unhatched and, you know, maybe in my work is way up. But, you know, maybe it's not a word that we would want to depend a lot in, in especially in trading. Of course, people would argue it's either up or down. It's always a 50-50. But it's never a 50-50 because the underlying factor makes maybe one direction more likely than the other. Yep. And so I think my key thing about hedging my position and understanding that I still have a chance to unhatch at the later date was the fact that I admit at that point of time I was wrong. And of course, the long-term wise, I'm still right, but the short-term wise, I'm wrong. I, yep, I just yep. took it out of proportion and of course, yeah. yeah. And you know, in the podcast, I've interviewed so many people now that I have six common mistakes. The most common, absolute most common mistake is fail to do their research. And I'd say you did, you did enough to put on that trade. The second one is fail to properly assess and manage risk. And I think that that's one that's always hard for people. And this is a good reminder and the way that I recommend that people handle this is that whenever you're going into an investment, it's exciting, you do your research, you see the opportunity. What you need to do is break your research into two parts. Part one, your research on the opportunity. And then part two is where you allow yourself to say, what if this goes wrong? Mm. And it's a critical part of the process that we most of the time skip because we kind of bring all the research together. But if you were to say, why do we want to do this trade? Here's all of our research. You meet in a room and everybody says, this, this works. And then you say, in the afternoon, we're going to meet and discuss why it's not going to work and what we're going to do if it doesn't work. Yes. It, it separates the connection that people feel to saying, I recommended this, I can't go against it. Yeah. And so I think that this reminds me of that, you know, of that kind of strategy that I think about the way to do research since research is my area. Yeah. Anything you would add to all that? I think one of the things I have always been interested was that can good traders, is good traders being trained or born with, you know? And I think after so many years and of course a few of the more important experience that I've gotten, especially this one, I think it's just that I really feel that traders, good traders, can be trained. Of course, it comes with experience. It comes with a lot of patience. And it's just like our EQ, like, like our heart, right? For example, I, I was being through a very, I would say, a little bit stressful past month, right? Because mm -hmm. I was trying to understand. But every time you survive, you have the knowledge and all these to, to handle it better the next time. And so I just want to emphasize on that point that Good traders can definitely be taught. It's just about the environment. It has really nothing to do with IQ, and I think you will agree about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's the emotional experience that, yeah. that brings you the memory. And you know, let's go back to the beginning of this whole podcast before we start to wrap up. And yeah. that is what I always say is that in our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. And I think that what, what you learn from experience what we learn in the books and what we learn, you know, that, that's all about the upside. But what we learn from experience is about the downside and how yes. painful it is and how to protect against it. So based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn in your life, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? And I want you to think about that young man or woman out there who is about to put on a trade that they feel equally confident with 
what one piece of advice would you give them? I think that one piece of advice would be if you are really serious in terms of trading and investing, I want you to record down your journey. And that is to say every single thing that you have done. Because when you start to record things down, you get to measure them. You get to see what went right and what went wrong. And this is very important because I always, you know, I go to stages and I always tell people this, is that in life, it is never too difficult to be a better version of yourself in anything. Just by doing one thing, which is doing more of what works and less of what don't. Mm, your life will that. be... Yeah, your life will be significantly better. And how are you going to do what is, what are the things that are right and what are the things that are wrong to reduce those things and increase those that are right is really by recording your journey because everything is down there. You can change what you see on that piece of paper. And of course, over time, you probably will build another system. But as a start, I think focus on doing what is right and less of what is wrong. Love that. Great advice. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? I've been doing this and I can't see myself doing anything else. So whether is it for the next 12 months or for the next 12 years, Andrew, I just want to continue to build the fund that I'm, I'm doing. I want to raise more money. I want to trade it for people. Of course, now that people know that I can admit that I'm wrong, which is one of the very important quality. I also, just like you, I'm also educating people as well, mm. but more in the technical analysis trading yeah. side. So whether they want to be an investor with me or they want to be a student of mine, I just want to do good by giving back the knowledge. And like the podcast that you're doing for your yeah. subscribers, your listeners, I think it's a fantastic job. And I aspire to be like you. When I saw the title, Share Your Worst Investment Advice, I knew that this was a podcast I have to be on. <laughs> well, you've done a great story. And I tell you, listeners... That's another great story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. And as we end, Wilbert, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you. I, I know it's painful to talk about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And lastly, this is something I added on to my script a couple of months ago. Because so many people, when I ask them to come on the show, say no. So I want to congratulate you for being one of the brave ones who has turned your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I think, and as you were talking about how this worst investment helped us, to be honest, and this is what I'm feeling now. So this is kind of like a real talk, right? I think that once I really said it out to people and for listeners to learn, not only do I benefit them, but I think what you do for yourself is very important you are humble enough to accept that. And I think moving on, now you are clearer and, and you probably understand yourself better as you know, I was doing all these things. So you know, it's a learning journey, so just don't give up. And of course, get into the right group, right environment, right people, and, and have a never say die attitude. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. That's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.